Thank you, Lord, that there's a place that we can hide in, the presence of the Lord, that special place, secret place of the Most High. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's look into the Word of the Lord in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and I'll begin reading with verse 17, and then we'll be going a little further back in the Word of the Lord to the book of Genesis chapter number 19. But to begin with, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 17. Be musicians and uh, praise team practice here tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're going to uh, just have a little extended worship. No choir tonight. It's been a while since we've uh, given the choir a break. But uh, we want all of the praise singers, musicians, all of those involved with that to be here at 5 o'clock sharp. Uh, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 17 Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work, shall, they, shall thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, and another cherub on the other end even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherub on the two ends thereof and the cherubim shall stretch forth her, their wings on high covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Verse 22, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony. Of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And let's look very quickly, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter number 19, and we'll start reading with verse 18. Genesis 19, and verse 18, And the Lord said unto them, O, not so, or Lot said, rather, unto them, O, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified, everybody say magnified, thy mercy, which thou hast shown unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Thou hast magnified thy mercy. Thou hast magnified thy mercy. And I want to give a title that will explain a little later in the message, but it may seem a little unusual at first, but just bear with me. 
I feel like the Lord has laid something on our heart today. I want to talk about twisted mercy. Twisted mercy. Let's lift up our hands and our voices once again to the Lord and let's pray for God's help, for God's strength, for God's anointing here. Would you pray with me very, very fervently? Let's pray and touch God. Jesus, we have real need of you today. We're praying, God, that you would help this congregation, strengthen them, bless them, everyone. You know exactly what we have need of even before we ask it. God, I'm praying, Lord, your word will be applied to the hearts of every person here. We thank you, God, for this marvelous opportunity to be in your presence. We pray your mercy would reach to somebody in this congregation today. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Would you love the Lord and give him praise right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This passage in the book of Exodus points us towards a wonderful piece of furniture that was in the Old Testament tabernacles. It was in a specific spot, specific place, the holies of holies, and it is known as the Ark of the Covenant, or as the Scripture bears out, it can also be called the Ark of Testimony. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned over 180 times in the Word of God. And again, it is synonymous with terms like the Ark of Testimony, the Holy Ark, the Ark of Thy Strength. The Ark of the Covenant was made with acacia wood, and it was overlaid with gold, both within and without. And that was pure gold. And this fact is mentioned uh, 21 times in the Word of God. And studying about acacia wood or shidem wood, we know that it is a very gnarly wood. It is wood that is, uh, its grain is not pretty necessarily to look at. It's unlike maple or cherry wood that you and I see much of our furniture made of. But it is something that is very naughty, and very gnarly, and it's unpleasant to the eye. But nevertheless, this is what God chose as the inner structure. And it was to be overlaid with gold, this ark was, that was built of acacia wood. This, I believe, is typical of our life because we know that gold represents deity. And when God's presence overshadows our life, it doesn't matter how out of sorts and how twisted, how unpleasant to the eye, how unappealing our life was before we met God, before we come and experience His redemptive work in our lives. But once His presence overlaid our lives and once His mercy overlaid our lives, it made something beautiful out of us all. Aren't you thankful for that today? The dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant are given in the Word of God as being two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubit wide, and it was one and a half cubits in its height. There were three things that were to be placed within the Ark of the Covenant. There was the pot of manna, and this manna, unlike other manna, that would only last 24 hours. We know that this manna 
never grew stale, which is a type of Jesus Christ, which is the same, the Scripture says, yesterday, today, and forever. We know that Aaron's rod was also within that ark, which signifies God's miraculous power. And God wanted them to remember that. He wanted them to always have this testimony that God was a God of power and of great strength. And then, of course, there was the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, which God had written upon with His own finger. And these were the law of God that was given unto Moses. The lid of that ark, the covering that was over it, was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat becomes, in my estimation, a perfect type and picture of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. Because in Romans chapter number 3, in verse 25, it tells us of Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That word propitiation literally means mercy seat. So Romans 3 and 25 could easily say who God has set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in His blood. We understand that everything that transpired in the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament didn't just happen by happenstance. It was not coincidental. It was not an accident. But it was there on purpose. It was all a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And so we see the mercy seat as a perfect type of Jesus Christ. Once a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would enter into that holy of holies behind the veil. No man was allowed to be there that was not sanctified, that was not called of God for this specific purpose. This was a very special chosen man that would go and represent God's people before him. He would enter into this sacred place with the blood of the sacrifice that he had offered. And he would sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice upon the top of that mercy seat. And the mercy seat was setting above, if we could say it this way, above the law, even the broken laws and the commands of God. Because we know that over the year, people had broken those commands and those laws of God. And so it was necessary. It was necessary that this be done, that that high priest come into the presence of the Lord. And he sprinkled that blood upon the top of the mercy seat. Because God was looking down between those cherubs. We know that his presence dwelt there. And he was looking down upon that law that he had given to his people. And there had to be something that would come between the law, that broken law, and God. And the presence of God would come down, and like a cloud, it would hoover over the mercy seat. Instead of seeing the broken law, when the presence of the Lord came in there, it was the Shekinah glory of God that came into that holies of holies. And instead of seeing the broken law, he would see the blood, that atoning blood. Amen. That blood of a 
perfect sacrifice, that blood, amen, that would roll away that sin or roll it ahead, rather, for another year. And all of this was a type and it was a shadow of what was to come and the work of him that was to come, Jesus Christ. If today you will receive this, if today you would see a picture of God's mercy in the old covenant, it was guarded mercy. It was protected mercy. It was not limitless, fathomless mercy, but it was mercy that was basically in prison to this specific place that we read about in the Word of God. Now we see that there are times when it flashes beyond the veil and it reaches out to some person in need. But we know that it is very uncommon. We understand that mercy was basically locked in this room, the holies of holies. It was there in that special place behind the veil and the cherubims that were over the mercy seat. It dwelt between them. They were a symbol of the angelic presence that stood guard over the ark and God's mercy seat. If you remember when Adam and Eve were placed uh, out of the garden, the scripture actually says that they were driven out of the garden. There was a cherub that was placed at the entrance of the garden with a flame and sword in his hand to guard the way or the entrance into that place. The cherubs are basically guardian angels. Now, Exodus 25 tells us that where the two cherubims of gold were, they were on either side. They were symmetrically uh, in unison with one another. The Bible uses the word even. Everything about them were the same. Uh, one on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. And they were both looking down upon the mercy seat. They were not looking at one another, but they were looking at the mercy seat. These two cherubims, their wings spread over, touching one another in complete unison and harmony. Uh, showing us that unity can only exist among God's people as long as we stay focused on the mercies of God. If we focus on one another's problems, if we focus on one another's mistakes, if we focus on one another's shortcomings, there'll be no mercy, there'll be no glory, and there'll certainly be no unity in the church but if there's going to be unity, if there's going to be a perfect presence and Shekinah glory of God in the house of God, the only way that that can possibly be achieved is for us to keep our focus on the mercies of Almighty God. I'm telling you, it's imperative today that we remember where God brought us from and what God has done for us and the mercy that he has shown every one of us that is in this room. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and point out their blemishes and their mistakes. But if you could remember back long enough, you may have to go back 10, 20, or maybe even longer than that, years ago. But I believe that every one of us recognize the fact that if it was not for the mercy and the grace of Almighty God, 
not one of us would be in this place this morning. I'm thankful for the mercy of God that rescued me. I'm thankful for the mercy of God that redeemed me when I was unworthy. I'm thankful for the mercy of God that reached down to where I was when I was unable to reach up to Him. He reached down to where I was and He pulled me up and He restored me. I was incomplete but He brought completeness in my life. I was was in turmoil but He brought peace that passeth all understanding. I was confused but He brought a man a certain serenity of mind that can only come from the presence of Almighty God. If you're thankful for His presence, you ought to lift your hands and worship Him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But these cherubs, I want to focus on that for just a moment, were there watching and looking down upon the mercy seat. Guardian angels guarding the mercy seat. At that time, mercy was guarded day and night, and those cherubs stood watch over mercy. So in essence, it was guarded mercy. The Bible gives us a little insight into the riches of God. It says that He owns all that is on a thousand hills. All the cattle, all the things that have been constructed and built and everything that is therein. We also know that He prepared a city for you and I and Jesus said in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have not have told you. In that city that He described, there are walls of jasper. There are gates of pearl. There are streets that are made with pure gold. How do you possibly assess the wealth and the riches of God how do you possibly affix a figure on how rich God is or how wealthy God is how do you give a proper appraisal to it all he owns the gold and he owns the mountains that the gold are in but if you really want to talk about the riches of God If you really want to talk about the wealth of God, you've got to talk about His mercy. Because Ephesians 2 and 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. He did not state, the, the writer did not say that He is rich in power. He did not, when He was describing the riches and the wealth of God, say He was rich in ability. And we know that God has power. And we know He has strength. He did not say that He's rich in justice. And we know that God is a God that is just. And we know that there is going to be a day that folks are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But the Bible said when He described His mercy, when when you describe rather His wealth and His riches, you've got to talk about His mercy. Because if there's any commodity, 
reality that God has more than anything else. If there's anything that epitomizes Him or personifies God above everything else, it is the mercy of God. My Bible said He is slow to anger. Why? Because He is mercy, merciful. Amen. As powerful as the law is, the Scripture says that it's under the mercy seat. It's mercy that is over the law. It overshadows the law. Though the mercy seat was in the holies of holies, it was behind the veil, guarded by these cherubs. But there was times, as I described earlier, where it seems to reach out around the veil, where it seems to, to flash out and help somebody that is in desperate need. There's times when it runs to the rescue of someone that desperately needs the Lord. We know the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And I know a lot of reasons have been, have been given why that uh, a, lot of, lot of, a lot of people have tried to give an answer as to why he would be considered a man after God's own heart. But I would think the chiefest reason was is because he was always extending mercy. He was extending mercy to men like his own son Absalom who rebelled against him and carried a large army to attack and to come against his very own father. And then, of course, there was Joab that he showed mercy to. There was Shimei that, that cursed him and railed against him, but he showed mercy. There was Saul that hunted him like a wild animal, but he refused when he was given the opportunity to take his life. There was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was that crippled boy that was Saul's grandson, and it was the custom of the day that every king would put to death and he would be heirs to the throne. But, but David was a different type of man, and he said, I'm going to show the kindness of God unto him. I'm going to do something that is uncustomary for kings to do. I'm going to go beyond what I have to do, and I'm going to show him mercy. And Jesus once said this. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And there was a point, and there was a time in David's life where he desperately needed the mercy of God. I just want to stop here and say this. Before you you rail and before you show judgment and before you jump to conclusions uh, and before you look at somebody and wag your head and point your finger you better remember there may be a day when you need the mercy of God you better remember there may be a day when you need God to forgive you you better remember there may be a time when you need the mercy of the Lord uh, to reach to where you are and to rescue you and redeem your life and because David was a man himself that was a mercy giver um mercy extender he was one that was merciful the scripture says that when he committed sin in a time when mercy really wasn't given in a time when he wasn't living in the dispensation of grace as you and I are here this morning a time when he deserved to die for the sin that he had committed in Psalms 51 
God. I hear him cry out for something that was unusual for people of that day. Something that they were not real familiar with because they lived under the letter of the law. But he said, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. And mercy said, I can't stay here. I can't stay trapped in behind this veil. I can't stay in this sacred room any longer. But there's a man that is crying out. There's a man that's in need. And he went from behind that veil and he rescued him. The only reason any of us are here today is because mercy overshadows the law. Because mercy looks beyond the veil. Because mercy is willing to take a chance on us here this morning. You're thankful for the mercy of God. You ought to raise your hands right now and give him praise. You ought to thank him for it. You ought to give him glory and honor and thanks right now from your heart. I want you to ride with me for just a few moments. I'm going somewhere. Jonah. Jonah was a man directed by God to go to a city that he didn't want to go to, Nineveh. And there was no mercy in his message. There was not one ray of hope in the words that he was to say. He just told them in a certain amount of time, judgment's coming. And the Bible says that that message somehow made its way to a king that king of that city got off his throne took off his crown put on sackcloth and began to cry out in repentance and guess what mercy broke out in the city of Nineveh you see it couldn't be held back it couldn't be restrained it had to come to the rescue of that one that was reaching for it that was calling on it. And yes, the mercy seat was still behind the veil, but there were instances where it broke free. It was still there with those cherubs over it, but there was times when it slipped beyond that place out to where there was a need. And when Jesus came into this world, began to walk this earth, it only intensified we understand that there was a time that his disciples were so they were so angry at the response of the city that they wanted to call down fire upon it to oppose them and to to execute judgment against them and Jesus said you don't know what kind of spirit you're of I'm going to tell you people that's always damning and condemning people they don't know what spirit they're of it's certainly not the Spirit of God. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And Pharisees, at one point, they come dragging a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And they brought, they brought this woman and threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, the law says, stone her. The law says that she deserves this. And this one that personified mercy took and stooped down and began to write in the sand. I don't know exactly what it was he began to write, but something struck a chord in the heart of these men 
who had stones in their hand to stone this lady. And one after another, you could hear the rocks hit the ground as there was a stone that was discarded. And one would walk away realizing that I am not fit to stone her. And another would walk away and, and say, well, I, I'm really not worthy to stone her either. And I'm not qualified to do this. And, and they walked away and he looked at her and said, uh, where are thy accusers? And she said, uh, they're not here. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. In case somebody's wondering what I'm preaching here this morning, I'm not preaching that mercy is to be extended to that one that wants to continue in sin. But the Bible said that mercy was extended to her in, in this frame, in this framework that she would go and sin no more. In other words, I'm giving you a new lease on life. I'm giving you another chance. You deserve to die. You deserve, according to the law, not to live. But mercy over shadows the law. Mercy even in the Old Testament was on top of the law. Amen. And he said, I'm going to give you a chance. Jesus, amen, gave her the opportunity to make a change. And that's what mercy is all about. Jesus was traveling down a certain road one day. And the Bible says that there was a man a son of Timaeus by the name of Bartimaeus that began to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, listen to what he says, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. This was a beggar. This was, uh, in that day, a man from a lower status of life. This was a man that could be considered a nuisance. This was a man that by the general public, for the most part, had been ignored. This was a man that many would walk by without speaking a word to. And the disciples tried to push him away. They tried to tell him that Jesus does not have time for you. But notice mercy's response when he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I read a phrase there that causes me to be stirred in my spirit. It says that Jesus stood still. It stopped him in his tracks. What did he say? He didn't say uh, that he wanted me to do thus and so. He said he wanted me to have mercy upon him and there's only one time that I read about in the entire New Testament that mercy was ever denied to somebody that cried out for it and that's when that rich man in Luke 16 was in hell and he cried out for mercy and it was too late for mercy to be able to come to where he was but anytime you find on earth where there was a need mercy was more than happy to meet that need wherever you find on earth where there was a there was a person that said I need help I need forgiveness I need a change I need redemption I need your strength mercy said I come to your rescue I'll be there I'll help you I'll reach to where you are Jesus stood still because a cry for mercy stopped him in his tracks he said, I, I want to reach to that person that's in need of mercy. 
I'm going to tell you, we never stop being in need of the mercies of God. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Some could take by my message this morning that I'm exclusively preaching to one crowd, but I'm preaching to everybody here this morning because we're all in need of the mercies of God. When Jesus Christ reached the cross and at the end he finally said these words, it is finished, something happened, the Scripture says, where mercy had been in prison, where mercy had been behind a veil unable to freely go and to freely extend itself to those that are in need the Bible says that that veil that guarded the holies of holies was rent in twain torn top to bottom and they took Jesus and they placed him in a tomb and the Bible says that they placed Roman soldiers there to guard it but three days later just like just like he said three days later mercy got out of that grave and Mary came to that sepulcher weeping and the scripture says that she saw two angels there where the body of Jesus had been Remember, there were two angels that guarded the mercy seat. There were two cherubs that guarded the mercy seat for centuries. But now these angels were not standing guard, but they were sitting where Jesus once was, signifying the fact that the work of the guardian angel of mercy was over. Mercy was to be no longer guarded, but it was unguarded. Mercy would be now easily accessed. It would be for the sinner. It would be for the halt. It would be for the sick. It would be for the lame. Mercy for you. Mercy for your children. Mercy for all that are afar off. Mercy broke out to find the hurting. Mercy finally was able to be accessed by the broken. Mercy was there for the alcoholic. Mercy is there for the drug addict. Mercy is there for the indifferent. Mercy is there for the sinner. And so now it's not by works of righteousness. Uh, Titus, uh, amen, the third chapter. It's not by works of righteousness uh, which you have done. Amen. That may have worked under the law. You may have tried that under the law, but it's according to his mercy that he has saved us uh, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Mercy can make a priest uh, out of a prodigal, a king uh, out of a slave, uh, amen, a saint uh, out of a sinner. When mercy got free to do what mercy can do, uh, amen, mercy said, I want to reach to anybody that's in need. I want to reach to anybody, amen, and give them hope. I don't want anybody. It's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The first place that I find in your Bible that mercy is even ever mentioned in the Scripture was in the book of Genesis, the 19th chapter. I read it to you here this morning. The Bible says that two angels had came to visit the patriarch Abraham. And they gave him the news 
that gave him the news that that there was going to be the destruction of Sodom and his nephew lived in that city along with his children. He said, I'm just warning you that the judgment is coming. And Abraham, who was an altar builder, Abraham, who was a prayer warrior, Abraham, Abraham, who was a friend of God, the Scripture says, he made an altar, and he began to cry out to God. He began to call on the name of the Lord. He began to plead for mercy for his nephew Lot. And of all the places, Brother Smith, for mercy to show up, of all the men for mercy to be extended to, and all the all the, the men for mercy to try to help. Why Sodom? And why Lot? Lot didn't deserve it. Lot had been selfish. Lot had made his own bed to lie in. Lot had caused this situation. He, he had chose this direction. But the Bible says that God still extended mercy. And as Lot finally escaped to those mountains that surrounded the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, we find him trembling, sitting on that hillside. It had such a close brush with death and God's judgment. He lifts up his voice and he says in this verse that I read to you tonight, Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight and hast magnified mercy. The first place that mercy is ever mentioned. We don't call her by her common name. Amen. We, we find that here she's called by her original name. Twisted mercy. Magnified mercy means twisted mercy. Because magnified in the original means twisted, stretched to the limit, pulled out of proportion, drawn out of the ordinary. I'm going to say it again. It means twisted, stretched to the limit. I'm talking about magnified or twisted mercy, pulled out of proportion, drawn out of the ordinary. Lot realized that what brought him out of Sodom what brought him out of that city of sin was not ordinary. He realized it was not normal. He realized it was not something that was common. It was not something that was average, but it was twisted mercy. It was stretched to the limit mercy. It was out of the ordinary mercy. It was magnified mercy. It was pulled out of proportion mercy. It was stretched all the way as far as it could be stretched mercy. Amen. It was something that was uncommon and it was certainly something that was undeserved. I'm going to tell you, mercy is able to stretch itself to reach for a soul that 
that's in need of God. Mercy is able, amen, to do whatever it has to do to make up the difference, amen, for some person that is lacking and cannot reach to where it is. Amen, if there's one that is in this house, amen, we see the example in Scripture where this man was in the very city of Sodom, but because somebody cried out to God, mercy was magnified. Mercy was stretched to its limits. Mercy was pulled out of proportion to reach somebody that was in need. I'm telling you in this place this morning, mercy can reach. I said mercy can go. Mercy, it can touch that person that you think it can never touch. That individual that you think it can never reach. Mercy can get there. I said mercy, it can travel the distance. Maybe you're praying for a lost boy. Maybe you're agonizing over a backslidden daughter. I'm telling you, there's such a thing as twisted mercy that can go the extra mile, that can stretch itself to reach to where that individual is. Maybe you're in this house and you have need of God. You've failed him a thousand times and you wonder, will God ever forgive me again? What you need is twisted mercy. What you need is to cry out for magnified mercy. What you need is mercy that goes beyond the normal portion. Goes beyond the normal requirement. Would you lift up your hands to God? Would you say a prayer right now? Come on. I feel his presence in this place. I feel his touch in this house right now. Oh, God. We're going to wait on the Lord for just a moment because I know he's here. And I know that His presence can touch somebody that desperately needs Him today. Somebody cry out for Him. Somebody lift up your voice like Abraham of old and say, God, we need Your mercy. God, we need your touch. We need your help. Somebody needs to reach to him. Somebody needs to call on him. Somebody needs to lift up their voice once again. Say, God, I need you. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou hast magnified your mercy. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want everybody to pray. I want everybody to talk to God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, some of you shocked me how out of tune and how out of kelter you are with the Spirit. 
it's astonishing to me. It's troubling that people could sit right here in this atmosphere and be so distant, so aloof. Come on, God's trying to reach to somebody in this place. God's trying to touch somebody in this house. It's time you draw on your senses for just a moment and say, you know what, I need to focus on something. God's trying to move. God's trying to work. Hallelujah. Come on, let's reach out to the Lord again. Thank you, Jesus. Let's reach out to the Lord again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I need the help of heaven. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning. This is just what I feel. I, I didn't intend for this message to go this direction. Maybe there's some faithful saint of God that wants to do like Abraham. You want God to touch somebody that you, you know stands in need of Him today. Maybe you've got a backslidden relative or friend or child or someone. Come on, Abraham, it's time to build an altar. Lot needs you. Lot needs you. You're the only thing that stands between them and judgment. You're the only thing that stands between them and meeting a God of judgment. Is there somebody that will call on mercy today? God, go down there in Sodom. Stir Lot's heart. Change Lot's mind. Get a hold of Lot. Deal with him. Stir him. Change him. Get a hold of her. Oh, stir the soul of that person. You're able, God, you're able to touch them. You're able to deal with them. You're able to stir them. In Jesus' name. Oh, God, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's reach out to heaven right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, this is serious business here this morning. I can't tell you how heavy my heart is. I've felt it for days now, a heaviness that I wasn't able to shake. I've not been able to get away from. Sin's eating people alive. Is there a church that will cry out for the mercies of God to intervene? Come on, there's family members of yours and mine that are going into eternity without God. Have we called their name? Have we sought the face of God for them? Oh, we can't afford to be casual anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Abraham. I believe God would hear you this morning if you'd pray. I believe God could intervene for you if you'd pray. 
Oh, if you'd reach out, God's going to see those tears. He's going to hear that voice. He's going to attend to that cry. <laughs> oh, God. God. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, is that Abraham that'll build an altar? Does anybody care that Lot is headed long, headlong into the judgments of God? Does anybody care that Lot he's gonna he's gonna reap fire and brimstone if somebody don't reach him and mercy doesn't get to where he's at? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is too intense for you. I'm sorry. Oh, but we got to reach somebody. We got to reach somebody. We got to reach somebody. Oh, oh, God, put a burden on my heart. Put some soul upon my heart. And love that soul through me. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, church, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. I don't know what else to say, but let's just talk to God.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're able, God, to magnify your mercy again. You're able, God, to touch us again. You're able to get to where they are, God, and help them. Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. felt like the Lord brought to my attention a story that I'd heard many years ago about a young man whose daddy never really lived for God. His mama brought him to church. He grew up in the church, got the Holy Ghost, went on to a preacher and then eventually an evangelist and he was traveling and doing the work of God and he would receive letters from his mother he said we are going to start revival here in a couple of weeks at our church and don't forget to pray for your daddy that God would save him in this revival and that would happen quite frequently when revival times or special services would come she'd always conclude her letters with be sure and pray for your daddy so but one one time a letter came and she announced that they were starting revival and or that they were in the midst of revival and she began to describe that it was a little different kind of revival fact that the preacher had been preaching about intercession and getting a burden preaching about our love for souls preaching to them about being revived and renewed when she concluded her letter that time she didn't say pray for daddy she said pray for your mama that she'll be saved and it was in that revival toward the end of that revival that his daddy did come in get the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus name but it happened when she got revived it happened when she started getting concerned when she started getting stirred up when she started getting her burden when she got renewed in the Holy Ghost amen I wonder if right now, if we stand to our feet, we couldn't just pray a simple prayer here in conclusion today and and, and maybe it'd be something that would linger in our hearts and we could pray throughout this week. God, revive me in the midst of my years. Revive me. Don't let me die. Don't let me get comfortable. Don't let me get to where I'm not stirred up anymore. God, would you pray that right now? Come on, everybody. Let's pray that. Revive me, God. Revive me, God. God, I'm always worrying about somebody else and what they're doing, but God, I need you to get a hold of me. 
I need you to stir me up. I need you to get a hold of my heart. I need to take inventory of my own life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I need to get back to Bethel myself. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I need a personal revival. I need a personal revival. Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah. Come on, as if somebody feels this right now. God, I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we've wept tears for others. Let's weep some tears for our own selves, our own soul. God, I repent. God, I repent, Lord. My priorities have been out of whack. God, my life's got off kelter. I'm out of balance. I hadn't put you at the top like I've needed to. I've let other things get in the way of my prayer life, my faithfulness to your house. But God, I want you to know. I want you to know I'm going to live for you more fervently. I'm not going to end this race in a jog. I'm not going to end this race with my hands hanging down and my my knees weary. But God, I'm going to end this race running. I'm going to end this race, God, giving it my all. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We need him to magnify his mercy again on the hearts of people. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. I pray that you'll be here tonight at 6 to help us pray, to touch God. Let's, let's don't shrug that off. Let's come be here. Choir, or not choir, but praise and musicians practice. Let's be here at 5, not 10 after, 12 after, 15 after. Let's be here at 5 where we can utilize this time. We want to be on our toes tonight.